0: Hey, everybody, and welcome
1: back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues Podcast. This week on our panel, we have Luke Stutters. Hello, Darren Bramer. Hey, everybody. Valentino Stoll. Hey, there. Dave Kimura.
2: Hey, everyone. And
1: Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we have a special guest, and that is Kingsley Chijioke. Kingsley, do you want to introduce yourself? Let us know who you are, why you're world famous?
3: I can't say I'm world famous. My name is Kingsley from Nigeria, I live in Lagos, Nigeria. I work as a software engineer for Vibes. Vibes is a mobile marketing platform based in Chicago. On the side, I work for Smashing Magazine as a technical editor. I've written a couple of articles on Ruby and Rails and React and Vue and the likes. Yeah, mostly those.
1: When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Oh, wow. Well, I, I feel like you're smarter than me already. (laughs) <laughs> because I know Ruby, and then I just kind of talk about the rest of that stuff. You wrote an article on the Honey Badger blog, Understanding Ruby Method Lookup. And, and I always like to ask, you know, when people write these articles, why did you write this? Were you struggling with this? Did you learn this for any particular reason? or Yeah.
3: Um, so I came across this um, article by someone here in Nigeria, That's the CEO of um, Bycoins. He wrote about um, prepend, include, and extend. So I was on a medium post. His name is Timmy. So I had used include before. So I needed to probably understand how prepend works better and extend on cases basically scenarios where I would have to use of them. And um, I came across, I had this, I had, a, I had a copy of a um, well-grounded Rubyist. Uh, I'm not sure I can remember the author. So um I dived into yeah, it and plan. did a little bit. Yeah, did a little bit of reading. That was where I came across the um, Ruby um, lookup path first. So looked interesting, something I had not learned before. So I decided to learn this. And um, pretty much what I do most times is um, when I learn something, or you um, know, when I learn something, in order to perfect it and have a better grasp of it. I write about it. Um, it helps me open up to blind spots that I don't have. So typically, the need to learn drove me into writing it.
0: Cool. So I hadn't seen this article till just now, and initially I thought that this talk was going to be just about how to find methods and where they're defined. But it's actually really interesting because because the article goes much deeper than just where do you find a method. It goes to the actual call chain hierarchy of mm-hmm. when you call this method on an object, it's going to first go here. To, the, to this place to look it up, and then it just follows up the chain. And the article speaks to this hierarchy, and it's first going to look here, then here, then here. So that's really interesting and really good, really fundamentals to know.
1: So let's kind of start with the kind of the basic idea of where a method is defined. So if you just have an object out there, where does it generally just look for those methods? Let's say it's just a method on just that object, right? So if I do depth object dot method, right, and I just define it just right there, it doesn't come in from the class or anything else. Where, where does that actually live? So that lives
3: in in something we call um, the same. Sing- so at that point, it's going to be called um, a singleton method because we're defining it on an object. You know, typically we say um, everything in Ruby is an object. Um, when you define a method in a class, is basically defining um, a method for an object yeah so when you define it when you do a um, dev an object dot a method that method lives in um, a special kind of class they Thomas have uh, a video on this it's called um, the ruby objects videos on youtube where he explained most of this in detail so it's almost like a ruby define ruby create some kind of singleton class or some kind of singleton collection where it puts that um, specific method defined on that object itself the same thing happens when you define um sim- uh, what we call um class methods in ruby it's it's not available basically it's not going to be available to all of the instances in that class in that class is going to be only available to that class so it's creates this collection of singleton methods for that class or for that um, object itself and houses them there. So, that for, so for the case scenario you mentioned, that is the first place the objects uh, Ruby would look into. Then if it doesn't see it there, it goes into the class of uh, the super class of that um, object.
1: Yeah, I remember years and years and years ago, there was a video series by Dave Thomas on Pragmatic Programmers and he explains a lot of this. And he always did, did this up and to the right, you know, and it, it was yeah. kind of yeah. this, you move up and to the right, up yeah. to the, the class. Yeah. And then he put this little ghost over it. And it was like, there's a ghost class, you know, every time you go up and to the right. And it was where it was this ghost class that's not defined as like a, a formal class, but it's where all the Singleton methods live.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: don't believe in ghost classes.
2: (laughs) Yeah, Kingsley, I really liked your your article and I I did, I learned from it. I guess one thing that it made me think about when I was learning Ruby, if you're coming from a statically typed language, most languages have the construct of an import or an include. So in Java, you import another package or a specific class and then you can reference it. And so when I first started learning Ruby, I was thinking of include as a similar type construct, but for those who are, are learning Ruby, maybe new to it or just getting a refresher, your article is a good reminder. That's actually not, it's not the same semantic mechanism, right? So as you point out in your article, when you include a module, whatever you're actually, spe- you're actually changing the order in which that method lookup occurs. Yeah. So in yeah. Java, if it was, if it was ambiguous reference in Java, for example, you would get a compiler because the compiler doesn't know which Thing, object to use, whether to use it from some other module I included or from the class itself. But in Ruby, right, the include, prepend, the other directives that you mentioned—they're actually specifying. Well, what order should I resolve this in? And I'm actually—I haven't really ever used prepend before, so it was that was good to think about. You know, when I need to think about those things. But to me, that's what I thought about when I was uh, reading your reading your article, and I think it'd be, it's good for beginners in Ruby to kind of think through that and, and understand how that how that works.
3: Yeah, I've also never used, had a case scenario of using prepend yet. Uh, I've always made use of um, include. I've also, I've never used extend. I'm not sure I've used it, but I've had to use include a handful of times. And initially, all of it, the initial times I made use of include, uh, I never knew how the um, method lookup works till I wrote the article, till I read about it. And i think it's 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 one of those things where you have a powerful tool and you don't know how powerful it is because you don't know the extent to which it can do stuff so um i think understanding and not just using it but understanding how it works and how it changes the um, hierarchy of things is really really important for
2: ruby programmers yeah so one thing I'm not sure I maybe necessarily agree with, but maybe you all can educate me or give me your perspective. The singleton is actually the first order of precedence in the, in the method lookup chain. I'm not, I'm not sure at first glance if I would have put that number one. It seems like I might have preferred anything within a more localized scope, such as a class method, but curious to get your thoughts on that. Okay. The thing about that is it really has to do with
3: how you are how you're calling the method, and so say you define a class method, you have a class and you define a class method, if you call the method on an instance, then Ruby is not going to look into the the singleton class. But if you call it on the class itself, it looks into the singleton class, because the, so yes, let's say we have a class called class human and you have a method def speak. It's not a class method. It's basically an instance method. Those methods are available to the instances of that class. So then I create a new instance of that class and I call the speak method on that instance. Ruby won't look into the singleton class. But if I have a class method and I call the, cl- the speak method now on the class itself like human.speak, does speak and in that instance, in that case ruby looks into the singleton class
0: yeah i guess it's just the perspective that you're speaking of so i can i can see it go either way
1: so what let's say that i include two modules that define the same method what what order do the, does it do the lookup in in
3: that case the the most recent method takes precedence
1: so whatever i include last
4: yeah I think this is a reason why prepend exists. This is, is you include you include enough modules <laughs> and you find uh, yourself digging through a, a ton of files to find the same method.
2: Yeah, that's a good call out because it seems like there's some <laughs> recipe for trouble there. I think
4: Rails has a an underlying issue with this.
0: In worst this case, is, you could always call source location to find out where it's actually calling it from.
4: Yeah. How do you call source location?
0: On the actual uh, method, I'm
2: pretty sure.
4: The method method.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I just I just grab the entire directory. <laughs> it doesn't work for method programming, but you'd be amazed how far you can get.
0: Yeah, if you call like user dot method in parentheses the method name like colon full name, you can then call dot source location on there, and it'll return where that location is defined that method's to find.
3: interesting i want to ask about what i call the namespace minefield and this is a field that i had to traverse this week when i was doing some python programming and of course i don't know what the built-in functions are in python so if i decide i want a variable called range apparently range is a magic word in python so suddenly i've stepped on the namespace minefield and my program blows up so This is, I'm guessing this kind of when you're hunting the method and uh, Kingsley in this article, this is kind of mainly to do with when you've defined a method with one name, but another method exists of the same name and it's knocking out your method. Am I right? Yeah. Now, I tend to give my methods incredibly long, complicated names like has user. And doesn't have sausage with <laughs> underscores between them to avoid this. So yeah, no, I do. I go for I go for long method names. Because I'm I am hungry well. now. Yeah, you know, if you give your methods really long names, there's no <laughs> way someone else has come up with that name, have they?
1: Challenge accepted. I mean, that's one, definitely one way of working around it. And I do like the lookup. One other thing that I'm curious about, though, is can't you do like object.ancestors or something and see what the lookup chain actually looks like and just see if something's superseding you? Yeah,
3: yeah, I think, yeah, you you should be able to.
0: You know, I think this kind of methodology of looking up where a method is called from, especially with using the ancestors, it can be extremely helpful if you are trying to debug an application that you are being introduced to. So it's not something, you know, this kind of stuff, I don't think I would really use on an application where I created the repository, the code base, and I've kind of lived with it all this time. But coming into onboarding onto an already established application, this can provide a lot of insight to someone who doesn't know the code base yet, and it can also provide them some kind of hierarchy of how things are organized, you know along with looking at the code base, but it can just bring some of that knowledge to the foreground
4: Kingsley I'm curious yeah i what what you've kind of taken away and uh used from knowing the ordering has this changed the way you program at all like do you find a little do you find yourself little. using uh, extend more now that you know what what it does and and where it not no no. No,
3: I still don't use extend. I've never, I've really never had, I think the only scenario or the only case where I would have to make use of extend is if I um, need a class method that has to do, has to be used across um, different classes. Basically not. So if I have a class method that needs to do something, that has to be done across different classes. Then I would have to take that behavior, put it in a model, then. Attach it into a class by using the extend, but I've never had um, a case scenario for that. All of the times I've had to use either of these has always been include. And I'm um, thinking about it. I still have not been able to figure out or um, imagine how a case scenario for using prepend because prepend um, basically Inclu- brings the class, be- brings the module before the class. So uh, I think the only scenario for that would be um, if I have a behavior that probably overwrites a method already in the class and uh, I want that to happen before the before Ruby. I think I just of, I just found a scenario for it before Ruby gets to the class itself. So that would be the only case scenario for when I would use prepend. But I think I've been fortunate enough not to have something like that.
4: Yeah, I know I've done prepend for overriding library classes, like that example, but RSpec has a lot of singleton class methods and you can override them with a prepend to have it do handle describe a different way or a lip block or something like that. Do do you know how the uh, super behaves differently within each of these kind of mixed in modules? Have you, have you noticed that, uh, have you ever had to like kind of use inheritance on the methods for using include or prepend and kind of how the behavior changes? No, no. I've never had to do
3: that. Aside from aside from um, cases where one would have um, a single inheritance from classes um, to one class. Yeah. But I've never had to do that in uh, an application I'm working on, I think. The only time I did that was for learning purpose, and that was when I was learning about this and write in this article, what can they reward to end scenario? And um, i have never done that.
1: So I guess the other thing that I'm kind of curious about is that as you go through all the different places where it looks, you kind of start out with the singleton methods. We talked about that and we talked about the mix-in modules, instance methods on the class, instance methods on the parent class. And, and it kind of follows the inheritance tree all the way up, which is always my favorite thing to try and figure out, right? When you inherit... Inherit and then inherit and then inherit. Don't do that, please, people. But then you get up to like object and kernel and basic object and stuff like that because everything in Ruby inherits from those. And I was curious as you dive into that. One of the things that I found working with people who haven't worked in Ruby as long as I have is that a lot of times they don't know what's in there. And so I was curious as you kind of dove into that. Did you find useful things in object or kernel? Kernel's my favorite, by the way object kernel or basic object that you were like, Oh, I didn't realize that every object in Ruby does this thing.
3: No, I actually didn't dive into um object, kernel and um basic object. I just think just went with the idea that this classes and the model, the kernel model, are basically things that are available to every object in Ruby. So mm-hmm. I did not dig into any of them to find out um uh, what they do, or basically uh, what is contained, what what they have at the moment.
1: Cool. Well, I'm gonna encourage our listeners to go and check out if you get a chance. Just go, yeah, go check out what what all is in Kernel, because it's just it's kind of fun to go see. Oh, it does all this stuff, and then also go check out uh, Object and Basic Object. Basic Object's kind of basic, Relax. I guess. I
3: ch- yeah.
1: Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock mountain time, I'm going to be doing a call and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software. So it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up. And then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream? And then I say, Rocky Road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have this situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up.
3: I checked it out just now, and I didn't even know the first method in the list. Apparently, there's an abort method. Who has ever seen the abort method used in a Ruby program? No one. Never seen it. And it gets worse from there, really. Then you've got stuff like binding. No one knows how binding works. Call cc. Does it call the the, the compiler? This is... Ah, I thought I knew
1: this language. I don't know. I don't... How many, how many of you honestly, Chuck, how many of the kernel methods do you know? Well, the other thing is is a lot of times the stuff in kernel, it's not stuff you call against a method necessarily, as much as you just call it within whatever you're you're doing, right? So, like eval, for example, a lot of people are pretty familiar with eval, where it evaluates a string as Ruby code, right? Which is generally not a good idea, but that comes off a of kernel, right? And so whatever context you're in that context is bound to self right and self is an object an object inherits from kernel and so eval is available everywhere and within every object right and so that means it's available within every context right same thing with dot clone you'll see that against a whole bunch of different objects something dot clone but Eval's an example of that. I'm trying to think of a few other ones that uh, some of them you will see called against kernel, but most of them aren't.
0: I just want to go back to that eval thing You say don't ever do it. Not to one-up you one, but to make life worse. Don't ever store Ruby code as records in your database to then pull down to eval. <laughs> I can't imagine where that would go wrong. And it just <laughs> trying to debug when that goes wrong. It's just a nightmare.
4: Haven't you just
1: described GitHub? Yeah. <laughs> that's code in the database. You put it down. It's, it's, you just described yeah. GitHub. Yeah. Gets and puts are in there. Lambda. Finding a lambda is in there. Anyway, there's all kinds of stuff in there. So, yeah, go have a look. The the P method, which is uh, print or put S, get, get S, all of that's in there in kernel. Require is part of kernel. Anyway, so all this stuff that you take for
2: granted in Ruby lives in kernel. Yeah, it's kind of fun to go looking through that list to find new toys to play with. There's, yeah. there's a, lot of, a lot of interesting stuff in there.
1: Yep. But because your your program has a context, which is an object, and it has a binding that binds to that object, it has an inheritance up through object in the kernel. And so that's why you can do things like put s, get s, and all that stuff. And, and incidentally, that's also why you can, when you do a, like a def method name, blah, 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 In just a a Ruby file, it creates a singleton method on the object that you're working in, and it follows this same inheritance chain that Kingsley's talking about in his article. And so that's where this gets really powerful, is that within IRB or within uh, just a Ruby script, all this stuff still applies, right? It's not just within your Rails app or within the context of some object that you form off of a class. This is everything. It also means you can break Ruby in really cool ways.
0: Now, I don't know if you knew this, but when you go into IRB, you know, you have the self object. Huh. So when you're in there, it's not like you are not within any kind of context. You are, but the mm-hmm. self dot class is object.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I had never done that to see what it was.
0: Me neither. I had just it a few minutes ago because I was wondering, like, Wonder what the parent IRB object is.
1: You should uh, prepend
4: a module onto objects and see what happens. <laughs> right? Just define. Just own prepend graph. a prepend a module that has methods. I mean, you could, right? And define new methods as you as you find they're missing. Yeah, you know that that is something that's worth talking
1: about. Is that it does call method missing up the chain as you move up the inheritance chain, and yeah, so you can conceivably, without defining the method, intercept the message.
3: Hang on, I thought it only called method missing after it's
1: gone through the whole chain. Yeah, but Does if you it? define your own, yeah, uh, because you can define what? method missing on a class, and if it inherits, you can call super within method missing.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I think it. we're making it. <laughs> <within method.
1: laughs> try it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. But Yeah, there are ways of looking up uh method definitions and method missing will not. It'll not tell you that that method is defined unless you update all the other stuff that tells you if a method's defined. So, anyway, but yeah, do you do you have any favorite resources that you use, Kingsley, while you were figuring this stuff out? You said you did some research and yeah, looked at some of this stuff.
3: Yeah, I read um, the book of um, the way grounded ruby and there's also this um blog, practices ruby, There was an article about about this lookup path too. Those were the those are the two places I used. And um, aside from I I got I got some articles from Medium too. Yeah, I can't remember the titles, but those well those are the two main resources I used. Then it was it wasn't until um, last week that I came across Dave Thomas video on YouTube.
1: Oh nice. Are those videos on YouTube now? that You used to have to pay for them?
3: It doesn't um he had this talk in um I think it's Copland. Yeah, so it was uploaded. Yeah. It was uploaded by some in someone on YouTube.
1: Okay, good deal. I'll see if I can find links to the video series on pragmatic programmers because it's it's an older series, but it's still the way that Ruby does it. So Yeah. Very cool.
3: Uh, it totally it totally calls me missing out its moment we Ancestor chain. It only calls that after it's after it's oh, okay. all the way to the top. And then it starts again at the beginning and calls method missing on each um if it exists in the object. I've I've proven it to myself for the power of IRB.
1: Interesting. Okay. I can only imagine why you would have to know that. But yeah, good deal. Was there anything else that we want to dive into on this particular topic? All right. Is there anything else that y'all want to ask Kingsley before we go to picks?
4: Yeah, Kingsley, what's what's the Ruby world like in Nigeria? It has been growing, growing really, really good. Just that, um, uh,
3: the, the language invoke here is, um, JavaScript. Uh, it's pretty difficult to find, um, programmers who are writing Ruby. I think, um, before Ruby, yeah, I think there are other prominent, uh, uh languages like uh, PHP, Python. Yeah. Yeah. But we've had, in the past, we've had talks. We've had really little conferences. And um, I think there was one that held last year. I know it was online. Yeah. But there yeah, are also a handful of companies who are um, products of persons, who people who build stuff using a Ruby, like one of the biggest cryptocurrency platform in Nigeria, coins, built using Ruby. And there's another one again called QDATS, Ruby also. So I think another move that has helped the Ruby language in Nigeria is Andela. Lots of Andela engineers, a handful of, lots of them. I know I have some friends there because I'm in Andela and we use Ruby too.
1: Cool. Are you mostly Rails? I know that a lot of European developers are doing like Hanami and things like that. Yeah, Rails, yeah. Cool. How did you get into
3: Ruby? Coincidence. That that would be the shorter version. I tried to learn PHP. It wasn't making sense to me. Then I attempted to learn JavaScript, doubled in and out and I stumbled on Ruby and it just made sense then decided so to just stay there. It was felt beautiful, it was intuitive and it was good. Felt like and it feels like the English language, which is why I like it. Stressless. Had you done any basic or visual basic programming before? No, I did a little bit of C, very, very little. It was all it was all basic when I was growing up in the UK. Everyone had basic, and all the magazines were, were BBC basic. The BBC had their own program, program, programming language called BBC Basic, and it was, you know, kind of print hello twenty go to ten, and that was that was what everyone, that was all the cool kids did in school. And the you know the, the flow of the Ruby language is very readable. It's, it's it's very close to kind of natural language, just like Basic was. So that's really why I kind of like the Ruby language because it. It felt like home. It
4: felt like home, Kingsley. I wanted to ask you quick, what your experience nice. is like working for, you know, doing an article for one of these third-party, like Honey Badger or uh, Smashing Magazine. What's that process like? And yeah, I guess what what's the process like? Really, the in in simple form is just of uh,
3: figuring out platforms that need writers and applying. I started off with SitePoint initially. And uh, my first article on Site Point. At that point I was really just starting up with Ruby programming. So the first article I wrote was uh, basically listing the list of um having a list of resources for persons who wanted to start in Ruby too. So this is these are basically the kind of resources you should check out, the courses, the books and the likes. And for Honey Badger, Honey Badger was different because it had to be pretty much advanced in a way or had to be kind of like teaching people. The first article I wrote on Honey Badger talked about active record transaction rules stuff. So the process is finding platforms that want authors like that. Platforms like Toot Plus, Sightpoint, um, CSS Tricks, those are platforms I've written for. For Smashing Magazine, um, I don't write for them. I just um I edit, I work with um authors, people who write articles, have edit the content, recruit authors for Smashing Magazine, edit the content, go through the pitching process, uh, speak with the reviewers and the likes, and put it up. I had a Smashing Magazine book. Did you ever have one of these, like, an actual printed Smashing Magazine book? Did you have those? No. Yeah, it was it was uh, on it was on jQuery. I've no idea how I got hold of it, but it's like an <laughs> kind of actual book on jQuery, and it was on front end animations. Which, when I was doing it back in, I think 20, 2010, was like amazing. It was like it's kind of uh, Flash free, Adobe Flash free technology, and how to just you know use a jQuery. To- Bump stuff around the screen, and yeah, I kind of owe a fair bit of my career to Spashing Magazine and their jQuery articles. But I can see they've they've now branched out into different frameworks, um, like the React and the Vue. Which one, Kingsley, which one is better, React or Vue? I've used React more, but each time I use React, I miss um, the reactivity of Vue. For me, React kind of plays nice, and um, but Vue is simpler in a way. And but well, I try not to dabble into the um, React versus Vue contention and everything. Right? I think it kind of depends on what you prefer, what you want. React, in a way, can do anything that Vue can do, and Vue can do what React can do. I like Vue better because the g- same guy who did the Rails for Zombies tutorials. But also did the reactive <laughs> tutorials, and I like him, so that's why because I like Greg,
1: so he always wins. I'm gonna tell Greg he has to listen to this. Just, so that-
3: <laughs> I'm um, I'm looking I'm looking for a CTO job by the way. So if you want someone to make your technical decisions based on informed principles, I'm available. Oh, there you go.
4: <laughs> I thought this was a really great yeah. reference for what the the load order for methods, right? For how it looks up. I'm definitely going to use this going forward, uh, just re- as a refresher course to know, you know, what methods are, are going to get called when. Do you have any advice for other people out there that want to, are thinking about writing an article, but are hesitant? Because the format of this is really great and the content is great and it seems like you have a good kind of method going forward. I'd love to see some more, <laughs> you know, content from you going forward. Is there something that helped you to, to put this article on on the web and put your thoughts on paper, I think the first thing is um, knowing that there are also
3: case scenarios where you would need the content you write. For example, there's this article I wrote for I wrote about um, React. I cannot remember the scenario because it's been a long time since I made use of it. I think I'm probably one of the person who always looks for the article to read on what I have written because there are cases where I forget what I write. So most times is that the fact that you know this now, it's possible you would forget about it tomorrow or five months time or something and you might have to make reference to it. Then there's also this quote by um or this tweet I remember by Chris I'm not sure I can pronounce his son in very well, but Chris from CSS Street. And there's this thing he said, which is that um if there's an article you wish you would have benefited from when you are starting to learn something, maybe React Ruby or something, you should write it. The fact that there are lots of articles um, out there on the same topic does not mean that someone else cannot benefit from something that you've written. It's probably that um, your perception or your perspective on how you would put it will be different from the other content out there. And there might be just be like five persons or two persons or one person. And that one person might be you. Would benefit from it. So, if I'm in a scenario where uh, I'm confused about um, active record transaction, I think the first place I would look for, so I'll look, I'll check out, his my article on Honey Badger about active record transaction and things like that.
1: Yeah, Chris Coyer is a terrific guy, and it's it's yeah. true too. I mean, I had somebody reach out to me about a podcast episode that I put out where we were talking about something on JavaScript ever, and I said something that touched him, and you just you never know. It was something that I hadn't really I'd been thinking about it and I just said something off the cuff and yeah it makes a difference yeah sometimes it's something that you know one of these guys say and I hear about it somebody'll take an excerpt of one of the shows and tweet it or something cool well let's go ahead and start wrapping up and uh do some picks uh Kingsley if people want to follow you on Twitter GitHub LinkedIn stuff like that or find your articles around the internet where do they find you On Twitter,
3: my username is Kingsel micro it's k-i n-s o um, and yeah. I use the same. I try to maintain the same username. So, in GitHub, the same thing on uh, LinkedIn, the same thing.
1: Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production. And you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Luke, you have some picks for us? I do. Well, since we're doing method names, I'm going to go all the way back to 2014
3: and pick the Active Emoji Gem. Remember that? Bit of a retro gem for you. The Active Emoji Gem allows you to write code easily using emojis in Ruby 2.6+. Astound your co-workers, the thud or your code reviewers use emojis to code in Ruby and it really works. That's another big. Uh, my second big is also a gem and it's a regular expression examples generator gem. So if you give it a regular expression, it will give you examples of strings that match that regular expression. I had to debug an issue on a customer site on Tuesday where someone had copy pasted a two-line regular expression designed to reformat XML timestamps. And that regular expression was chopping the final part of all incoming messages off the end of the timestamp message. So if the timestamp had one too many digits, it would actually remove the whole thing. So if I could have... If I could have taken that mystery regex and generated some strings that it matched, I would have instantly identified a fine problem, but I couldn't. So I had to blindly guess until it works. So those are my two picks. Uh, the emoji gem and a gem to take a regular expression and give you strings which would match that regular
2: expression. Cool. Darren, what are your picks? Okay, I've got a couple picks this week. The first one... Actually I'm gonna double down, Chuck, on a pick that you made a few weeks ago. So you had mentioned the book Masters of Doom and I got interested in that. So I started reading it. I'm about a third of the way through. It's fantastic. Really interesting about how those guys got started. Mm-hmm. And it takes you back right to like the different engineering challenges at that point in time for gaming. I love the you know, they reference it used to be, you know, when back in the day computing was a much smaller community, and so you would get subscribe to newsletters or magazines they'd have the code listings actually i thought about this too when you reference the basic code you know they'd have the code listings in the magazines and you type it into your uh well for me i guess it was a radio shack computer but uh anyway really interesting book so i'm looking forward to see where things turn out so uh i will include that and then to extend on the history theme i'm also picking an article by let's see, by Vinnie Brazil, and it talks about it. A little covers a little bit of the history of Ruby on Rails. The concept is about how an art school from the early 1900s might have influenced Ruby on Rails design. So you can kind of see if you believe in, in that or not. But it does reference even the early presentation by DHH on building a blog site in about 15 minutes and how everything kind of took off from there. So it's just a nice, it's a good reminder of how we got to where we're at. And it's kind of fun to look at the history of, of Ruby and Rails. So those are my picks for this week. Awesome. So I have a couple picks here. All right, Valentino, uh, what are your picks? One
4: is, I just saw that the debug gem, it, which uh, is coming to Ruby 3.1, I believe, it now has uh, Chrome browser integration. So you can set a debug point and have it open the Chrome browser and play around with Ruby from within the Chrome session, which is kind of wild. Definitely, I would check that out and see if you like it or not. Another pick I have is a Ruby library I'm kind of excited to try out. Uh, it's called Polyphony, and it's a library for doing concurrent applications that are in long running processes. So I've been playing a lot with integrated circuits and cases where you, I want to run Ruby in a background loop and. I've had a lot of trouble getting Ruby to play nicely with kind of joining the threads. And so uh, I'm excited to try this out. It uses the IOU ring and libev libraries to kind of maximize the IO performance. So uh, it looks very promising. It ties into Ruby fibers. I would definitely check that out. Awesome. Dave, what are your picks?
0: So my first pick is Octoprint, which I may have picked before, but I'm going to pick again because it's really awesome. Octoprint is basically loadable onto a Raspberry Pi, and it essentially replaces the need to have a desktop computer hooked up to a 3D printer. And just in general, I found it to actually produce better prints than what the provided solution was. So Octoprints, the first pick. The second pick is... I'm going to go ahead and pick Rail 7 Alpha 2. So Rail 7 is not fully released yet, but I've been making all of my screencasts that I do on Drift and Ruby with Rails 7 now. And it's actually been a breath of fresh air. I've really enjoyed it. Using ES build and CSS bundling, no more Webpacker; It just works. It's awesome. I'm still waiting for some gems to get updated, like device to support Rails 7. So there is that heat warning to not just jump in and upgrade right now. But starting off new projects and stuff, it's been a lot of fun.
1: Very nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to playing with the S-Build. I'm going to throw out a couple of picks on my own. The first pick I have is uh, Top End Devs slash Coaching. I've been doing a ton of coaching, I've really been enjoying it. So yeah, if you're trying to figure out the next stage of your career, I basically have uh, three tracks. So that I'm coaching people on, one is, is kind of your more general career track. So people are trying to go from like junior to senior, senior to team lead, team lead to management, stuff like that um, i've I've helped quite a few people make that leap uh, the other one is more kind of the podcasting track a lot of people are trying to get a podcast or youtube channel or something like that off the ground and grow their channel and increase their influence and be more attractive to employers or or folks like that and so I, i'm kind of lumping speaking in there as well but having a media channel really helps you be attractive to conferences and employers and stuff like that and the last area is freelancing I seem to be getting a lot of people wanting to be freelancers. So if you want to go out and find clients or or folks like that, then that's another option. So go to devchat.tv slash coaching or sorry, uh, topendevs.com slash coaching and check that out. You just give me some information about what you're trying to get to and then we'll we'll figure out how to get you on a call. And uh, I usually help you kind of get things off the ground on the first call for free. And that helps us kind of know if it's a good match and things like that. And then we'll figure out a paid option if if it's something that will work for both of us. So anyway. Uh, just putting that out there. Uh, other picks. So I just finished the book and I need to look it up because I don't remember what it's called. But it is The Laws of Wealth, Psychology and the Secret to Investing Success by Daniel Crosby. It's So good. So good. So if you're you have a 401k or something like that and you're trying to figure out where to put that money or, you know, you're investing in other ways. It's pretty awesome. So uh, check that one out. I think that's pretty much all the picks I have. I've got some other stuff coming down the pipe. I'm going to probably be putting most of the other stuff related to that out on uh, Top End Devs podcast. So just go to TopEndDevs.com and you can check that out. Kingsley, do you have some picks for us? Yeah, there's this book I
3: got from Stripe Press. The title of the book is The Art of Doing Science and Engineering by Richard W. Hamming. talks about great ideas. Uh, learning how to learn. And this thing is an old book, very, very old since we're going back uh, memory lane. So um, that is one. Then um, the um, second pick would be um, a Ruby gem. I like to install whenever I'm on a new project. Annotates annotate models, it helps annotate models and routes and makes it easier so that um, I don't have to. And most times, I figure out how the table, did, um, the models
1: are, the columns and everything. And yeah, I think those are the two pizza I have. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming. This was a lot of fun. And hopefully, it makes some people think about, okay, you know, when I'm building my code, what, what is it actually doing? And yeah, we'll wrap up here. Till next time, folks. Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.